Blog Talk Radio. There, Dr. Ross Green here. That time of the month again. Time for helping behaviorally challenging students. We do this once a month, September through May. Uh, that's me, and uh, sometimes four educators, two principals from British Columbia, one principal from Maine, and one now assistant superintendent from Maine. And I think he has just joined us. Is that you, Mr. Ambrose? Yes, I'm here. Outstanding. How are you today? I'm doing great. It's just a little funky up here with the weather. Well, I'm, uh, you know, in the same stuff. Maybe you're getting more up where you are, but um, here in Portland, uh, it's melting on the street. What about up by where you are? You're a little further north than me. It's just starting to get bad. A lot of schools have had after-school activities get canceled and things. You know, it's just starting to, to do the same thing. Got Just it. a little surprise in April, you know? It is, but we won't be too bummed out about it. It'll be gone soon. We also are joined, I think, by Carol. Carol, is that you or Susan? No, it's Carol. Hi, Carol. And I won't How tell are you? you? That it's sunny and I won't tell you that it's sunny and 20 degrees here. <laughs> 20 degrees Celsius, you mean? Celsius, that's right, in, yes. in the wilds of Canada up here. <laughs> well, I will, be, I will be in the wilds of Canada right sort of in your neck of the woods, on Friday, speaking in Comox. Ah, just on the island. Well, that's right. You're not on the island. Um, so maybe I will enjoy some of that warm weather. I hope so. Now, we have a caller on today's program who's been patiently standing by. Um, I think we have a caller, and this is from area code 317. So are you all both read in? I think... Well, I don't know if Susan's joining in, and I think Nina is having some after-school difficulties, so she may or may not. But let's take our caller, just because I'm not sure none of any, any of the rest of us are actually going to join in. Here we go. Area code 317. You are on the air. What's on your mind today? Hi there. Can you guys hear me okay? We uh-huh. can hear you great. Uh-huh. Awesome. Um, well, I am a behavior support teacher at an elementary school, and I recently was teaching um, in a gen ed classroom, but I have the license for gen ed and special ed, and, you know, I've always had a passion for helping kiddos with behavioral challenges, and so I made the switch to this position, and I love it, but um, and I'm a big fan of your model, and I use that constantly with my kiddos and in talking through problems and getting them involved in that problem-solving process. But I'm struggling with one thing in particular that I was hoping to just get some advice on or some input. Um, so when doing that Plan B model and kind of talking through with the student about what it is that they're struggling with or you know, getting their perspective on the problem, I'm learning just in this position, a lot of times what they're telling me is, well, I'm bored, or, well, I think this is boring, or this isn't fun, and I just don't enjoy it. And I'm wondering when that happens, is that enough information to go off of, and does that imply just solely a lack of motivation, or 
is there more to it than that? Do I need to dig deeper? Because I'm struggling with coming up with solutions when that is presented as the child's perspective, if that makes sense. Well, I'm going to let Tom and Carol answer first, and then I will pipe up if I've got anything more to say. Tom, Carol, who wants to take a crack at that one first? I have a question to, to start off with, just to clarify some things. It's always hard with just, uh, you know, over the phone getting some context. So um, can you give us an example of some of the types of questions that you've been using to start the Plan B conversations? Sure. So I'll say, you know, to a student, I notice you're having difficulty getting started on your math assignment. You know, what's up or what's going on? And, you know, a kid might say, I just don't like it. It's not fun. And, um, you know, I kind of I struggle at that point. You know, I might say, well, can you tell me tell me more about that or what, you know, what part is it that's not fun? And, and they might say everything or they might point to a couple problems that are, you know, challenging. And, and I can theorize on my own what I think the issue is. But part of me thinks, you know, I think that the kid really is bored. So, you know, trying to move past that is has been challenging. So that's been how I'm phrasing the question. I don't know if that helps to answer your question. And what's the and what's kind of the challenging behavior? So the challenge, so the expectation that's not being met is basically getting started on the math assignment after the teacher has presented the lesson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, go ahead. And I'm just wondering, like, were there when you did it? Did, was this a student that you did an ALSEP with uh, for just to get a whole global sense of of the skills that they might be in need of developing? Mm-hmm. I haven't done the ALSEP. For this child, I've kind of got, you know, in my head what I think it is, but in terms of bringing the team together and and going through and thinking about what skills the child is lacking, no, I have not done that yet. Mm -hmm. And is there challenging behavior that comes with it? Like, do they, are they uh, disrupting the class or, you know, making it difficult for for other kids? So what, um, Sure. okay, oops, sorry, I'm just going to turn, I've got a walkie-talkie here beside me. Um, Tom, can you think of any questions that might help to give us a context about this? No, no, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of just observing at this point. Go for it. <laughs> uh, well, okay. he'll I mean, just often, listening, you like, know. Yeah, he'll often when you know he's presented with that assignment, or, and it could be a couple of things. It's not always specific to math. It's just, I guess, when I'm thinking of lagging skills, I don't know if this is a proper way to kind of wrap my head around it. But just challenge, um, difficulty persisting on perceived you know, boring tax, mm-hmm. I guess. And so it's almost, it's kind of across the board on what it is. But, you know, he'll quickly go from, you know, looking at it, and he won't vocalize that he's bored right away. He'll just look at the assignment and then start throwing things, what's, whatever's around him. Mm-hmm. So there's some yeah. other um, probing or drilling strategies, I guess, that I'm sure Ross could elucidate more. Um, but one that I'm thinking of is, kind of presenting a contrasting, saying, well, you know, I've noticed that when we have a science assignment, you're able to get started. What's different for you between science and math? And just trying to okay. find some contrast there um, or, you know, something that, that the student shows success on, that they're meeting the expectation and just seeing if they can dig into what's different between the mm-hmm. situation A and situation B. Sure. I like those. I would probably just uh, start with reflective listening because I'm mm-hmm. bored, 
I'm bored could mean 27 different things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm bored would, your question was, is that enough? And the answer is, nope, that's just the beginning. <laughs> um, so you sure. want to use the drilling cheat sheet. I don't know if you have access to that, but it's free on the Lives in the Balance website in the resources section. Um, you want to use the drilling cheat sheet. Uh, because that's got eight different drilling strategies listed on it. Uh, Carol just named one or two of them. Um, the default drilling strategy is reflective listening. And um, one of Carol's might make sense in, in the situation that you're describing, and so would reflective listening. And it would be simply saying, you're bored, and then using a clarifying question or statement like, can you tell me more about that? Or what do you mean? Or I'm mm-hmm. confused. Or how so? Um, I must tell you that I'm unmotivated is highly unlikely to come out of the kid's mouth. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And to be perfectly honest with you, it would be extraordinarily low on my list of potential explanations for him being, him or her being bored. Um, As you're saying, is it a he? I think that's who you're talking about, yes? He. Mm -hmm. He. He might be right. It might be boring. Um, I hear I'm boring all the time these days. Um, Number one, I think kids are a lot more willing to say it than they used to be. And number two, I think kids spend their time passively doing things that are stimulating, but it's passive stimulation, and they sort of habituate to it. And things that require a great deal of effort or attention span or concentration uh, sometimes they'll say, I'm bored, but they're not going to say to you, that's because I play a lot of video games at home and this doesn't compare, and um, I've kind of habituated to that level of passive stimulation, <laughs> and you're not, you're not coming up with the goods here. You're not going to hear that either, right? Mm-hmm. But you are going to hear some stuff from the kid beyond I'm bored. Um, I like Carol's strategies a great deal about uh, what's interesting and what's not, Why perhaps why sometimes... Uh, the math is interesting, and other times the math isn't interesting. What's interesting about the math? So to tell you the truth, mm-hmm. I'm bored is just the beginning. It's a great place to start, not a showstopper at all. That kid's got a lot more information to give you, and the drilling strategies are going to help you get there. Sure. Uh, and I, so I, would I you would piggyback off. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, would you agree with the statement that, you know, I'm bored is never, you know, never the answer or is never um, all it is? Um, I would agree that I want to understand I'm bored a lot better than I would be able to if all I know is I'm bored. So, you know, I, just like a kid saying, I don't like it, or um, it makes me mad, or it's just not fun. I don't actually have any idea what the kid is really telling me. And in this model, of course, we resist all temptation to believe that the pressure is on us to understand what the kid is saying based merely on our intuition. The nice thing is mm-hmm. you don't need to you don't actually need your intuition that much. You just need drilling strategies to help you understand what the kid is really trying to say. And as I said earlier, I'm bored could mean 27 different things, maybe 37, maybe 57. I'm not sure. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I don't have the slightest idea what this kid means by I'm bored. Um, that's why I need those drilling strategies to help me figure it out. Tom, what were you going to say? Uh, I just uh, um, I I think that the the 
the real hard part <clears throat> when we're dealing with kids, this goes back to this conversation, Ross, about the, the mixing of academics and, and this model. Um, the reality is, is that you may want to know some of the assessment information about the kid with regard to their math skills. Being aware of what they know and are able to do with math and knowing where you want to get them with math helps you to be aware of what's going on in terms of um, the context of their comments. But I wouldn't necessarily use that to drive the conversation. I would kind of almost put it in a jar up on a shelf in my mind and just think, okay, I know that this kid is, is um, really struggling in math and that this math is actually mm -hmm. challenging is a very different lens when you're working with a kid than, okay, yeah, I know that this kid actually does know all of this math material and from our assessment this exercise may have actually been a little bit boring, but but I think that, that a combination of assessment, formative and summative data, combined with an awareness of, of children's social and emotional um, abilities or strengths, or, or the way Ross says, you know, what, what are their lagging skills or unsolved problems? If you have that awareness when you go into the process, it does help you to inform your questions when you're drilling for information. So that's a really long and fancy way of basically saying, I would just observe the I'm bored statement and then just do exactly what Ross said about going deeper. But but you could use some strategies around uh, just saying to them, well, if this is boring, you know, what what's fun? Like, what, is there a part of math that you like? Um, mm -hmm. Just trying to kind of find out what, what what is also working for them. Because I think a lot of times when we're talking to kids, we focus on what's not working. And if we want to build a relationship with them, focusing on what is working can really be helpful, mm -hmm. and I heard a, a little bit of that in, in what you shared about the science, and so I would just say maybe bring that a little more specific to math. Hey, what, what parts of math do you like, and what parts of math do you not like? No judgment in it, just asking for information about what what's fun and what's not fun about math, mm -hmm. and hoping to get some sure. insight as to what, what the I'm bored statement is really about down at the core, because I, I think the other thing is that, like, the intuition part that does work with this model is when you get to the moment where you have what, what Ross has called an aha moment, where you're like, uh, um, aha, I, I think I've got a line on what's going on with this. <clears throat> and then working with that, and sometimes the ahas are wrong, but you kind of get a feeling when you feel like, like you've drilled down enough to, to get some real information that can actually improve the situation. I know that's a little bit nebulous, but, but really that's all you can do is try to figure out what's going on and then, and then try a solution and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, just don't get frustrated. Go back to being curious, you know, and, and try again. Mm-hmm. Sure. What do you Thank think? Thank you guys so much. Yeah, I agree. We're I really think glad that, you called. You know, I, well, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, I really think I need to go deeper and see, you know, like you said, it could mean, you know, 27 different things. So going deeper and figuring out, you know, what it is that's that's kind of getting to him. And I think doing that contrasting, um, like Carol said, is a good idea too. So, um, you know, I'll definitely try those things out with him and, and, and give it a try and see how that works. I know that I can make, you know, progress with him. It's just I needed to reach out to figure out how I can best do that. So I appreciate your help, and thank you so much. And oh, anytime, no you hit dead, anytime you hit dead air when you, you've asked a question, the, the student is – replied and you're not really sure what to say next but you know there's more it's totally good to say i want to think for a minute about what you just said and just think for a minute and don't right. feel pressured to 
you know, to rush to the next step or to, you know, mm-hmm. feel flustered. Just it's modeling, too, that it's, sometimes it's good to take time to think. <laughs> right, right. And I've learned it takes a long time to get to to go through that model. It's worth it 100%, but it takes time for the child to, to open up and talk and, and, like you said, for that drilling piece. Good. But I think, too, that, that the other piece is just I remember early on when I was learning about how to do this work, um, I might ask a kid a question, and I, I thought I had a pretty good question, and the kid would say, I don't know, or they'd shrug, mm-hmm. or, or they'd mm-hmm. just sit there and look at me. And, and the, the rule of thumb for that, just to help you, you know, I like simple little guidelines that help me. The biggest one is um, I need, if that happens, I need to be more specific. So I loved how mm-hmm. you said, you know, what was you, when you said to him, I noticed that when you have to do a certain part of math, like you had it right down to the moment in the math class, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, when mm-hmm. And, and you said, what's up with that? Sometimes when the kids say I'm bored, um, increasing the specificity can help. By And, and that's kind of where I was going and saying, you know, well, what part is boring? You know, what part do you not like? And they'll probably say the whole thing. So you might need to chunk mm-hmm. it up for them and say, you know, is it the, is it the computation? Is it the, the, sure. the process? You know, really ask mm-hmm. them specific questions. The other thing we've done in the past is, uh, um, and this might not work for this child, but just for general awareness is, one time I had a teacher who was struggling with the kid, and, and they, they drew up little um, little cards with all the different parts of the day, you know, mm-hmm. um, reading, math, science, social studies, recess, lunch, and the kid could, like, pile, up, pile them up in lists of what he likes, can kind of live with and hated, and that helped us mm-hmm. to kind of get his concerns going. And then we could be more mm. specific about the parts that he didn't like, and that was really helpful. So I could see mm-hmm. using that model in math or reading, saying, you know, well, which parts of math can, do you like? Do you, sure. can you can you live with you know like and then it kind of helps to 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 get their frontal lobe going you know like oh yeah okay well I, I actually don't mind that part you know mm-hmm. but I really don't right. like this part that's a great idea giving them yeah some I like that is, idea is helpful sure yeah of chunking it and having him sort it out of you know what mm-hmm. and even yeah I think that's great that's a great idea thank you so much oh you're welcome. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, thank you. Well, sometimes we get callers on this program, don't we? That's great. That's fun. You all ready to respond to an email that we received this week? You bet. Here we go. This one says, Hi, Dr. Green. I listened to your presentation last night in Chicago. That was last Wednesday night, I think. I really enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to implementing some of your ideas. There were 700 educators in the room that night. I did, however, have a question. I teach kindergarten, and I have 25 boys in my class. There are quite a few boys with different behavior issues, and some of them I know what skills they're lacking. However, they need a lot of help to bring them to class level. There's still a way to help them in the meantime, without carrots and sticks, or is there still a time for that and place for that until the problems are solved? Um, so I think this is asking, what do you think of carrots and sticks, rewards and punishments, while you're waiting either to get a problem solved or on the problems that you're not prioritizing yet and you're not going to get to them anytime soon? 
And as always, I'm going to defer to you both first, and then um, I might weigh in. Tom, you want to start this time? Sure, sure. Uh, well, this is kind of piggybacks on the questions that my staff had about PBIS and the relationship of PBIS and and, um, and Plan B or, or a collaborative and proactive solutions. And, and I think that the the gist of the situation is that people confuse carrots and sticks with rules and expectations. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that, that um, we all know that carrots and sticks usually don't work because if a kid has, you know, lagging skills and unsolved problems, they can't do the things that they need to do to get the carrot, and the stick isn't going to help them to do them better. So I, I guess the rule, the rule of thumb would be, that carrots and sticks don't work. Just like um, retention and promotion are failed practices, they don't address the problem of the student's issue with their learning, right? The only thing that helps with student learning is to change the way we teach them because they obviously are not able to learn the way that we're teaching them. So why retain them or, or just promote them because they're old enough? So, so I think that, that you know, the gist of the answer is that carrots and sticks do not work, but I do think it's important to recognize that schools need to have expectations and behavioral guidelines that are explicitly taught to children and practiced, especially younger children, and that accountability is high. And accountability doesn't mean necessarily that you get suspended or expelled for misbehaving, but that it's not tolerated and it is addressed and we're going to work to solve the problem together until it until it, the behavior improves or the skills are learned to be able to, to act adaptively. So I guess, Ross, that, that would be the, the kind of like the, the basic answer. There's always nuances to all of this work and uh, happy to hear your thoughts because that's part of why I love doing this, you know. Well, I'm not going yet. Carol's going first. <laughs> cool. Well, my first thought was, wow, what a fun class that must be. <laughs> uh, 25 <laughs> kindergarten boys, wow. Um, well, my, my thoughts when it comes to, to, well, all kids, but especially the younger they are, is that rather than thinking of, of carrots and sticks, we think about supports and interventions. And supports can be as simple as, you know, positive reinforcement, just words of encouragement when we see a student meeting the expectations so that they can, they know that we're noticing it and they're feeling good about about meeting those expectations. And it does provide that internal motivation to to develop those skills that may be hard. Um, for example, just this morning, uh, my kindergarten teacher said, if you happen to see this little guy today, I just want you to know this morning this other boy in the class was really trying to rile him up and get him going, and he just walked away. I'm telling every adult who has a relationship with him, if you see him, can you tell him how awesome that was, <laughs> right? So it's just that, that, um, that praise and motivation when we catch them doing good. And then intervention, for me, it comes down to safety, right? So if a child is you know, having difficulty meeting an expectation, but it's not really a safety concern, that's where we can just provide a little intervention, a reminder, a visual prompt, um, something like that. Like you mentioned, Tom, just reteaching the routine, reteaching the, modeling the expectation. Um, but if it's a safety concern, then having, you know, preserving safety and saying, okay, you need to, you know, be beside me for a little while, or I need you to sit on a chair over there rather than on the carpet where you're kicking people. Um, so maintaining those expectations that, you know, this is a safe, school is a safe place and, and we respect each other's bodies and spaces. So if you're kicking someone, I'm not just going to wait for you to develop the skill of self-regulation. I'm going to make sure that the kids are safe 
um, but it's not a punitive, you know, time out because you're a horrible person, go stick your nose in the corner, right? So it's the minimal intervention that's required for safety um, and then the positive supports of teaching, uh, modeling, reinforcing. I like all of that. I um, don't have that much to add. I think that there are people who think I'm allergic to carrots and sticks, which I'm not. I would say they don't make a ton of sense to me. But in a classroom of 25 boys, many of whom have behavioral issues, I guess my basic take on this would be those behavioral issues um, were not did not occur overnight, so this teacher may have inherited many of them. It's probably safe to assume that carrots and sticks have been used before. I mean, they are ubiquitous in our society, hard to, almost impossible to get through childhood without somebody putting carrots and sticks on you. Um, Carrots and sticks don't seem to have gotten the job done previously, not exactly clear about how they would get the job done now. Um, and even when it looks like carrots and sticks are working, we still have to figure out what um, is really getting in the kid's way. Um, you know, one of the things that we know about carrots and sticks is that they can give you a brief, though often not durable, enhancement in a kid's behavior. But often kids satiate on the carrots and sticks, and often some kids uh, respond very badly to the stick and just as badly to not getting the carrot they thought they had coming to them. And so carrots and sticks are not a benign intervention. There are some kids who are really quite reactive to them. But my biggest issue with carrots and sticks is that they are focused on the kid's behavior, They are not focused on the problems that are causing that behavior. And carrots and sticks are actually not a very good way to solve those problems at all, even if we do make some headway on modifying the kid's behavior. So I guess the long and short of it for me is, um, you know what? If you're going to get some mileage with carrots and sticks, great. Just don't stick with it for long. Otherwise, uh, you're passing along the same unsolved problems to next year's teacher. Um, And eventually, the kid is going to satiate on the carrots and sticks, and at some point, it's not going to work anymore. Each individual kid has a list of lagging skills and a list of unsolved problems, no time like the present, on getting to work on them. That's my take. Uh, Do either of you want to weigh in further? I just wanted to share that that I think that a lot of times uh, people misconstrue working together to problem solve solve problems, and <clears throat> I almost just said problem solvems. I just had to work <laughs> out. You got to. It's been a long no, day, I, and it's snowing. It, yeah, no, I, I just think it's so important for people to realize that working together to, to solve these problems and to figure out solutions doesn't take away from the fact that um, one of the skills that that people really need to understand is that there are consequences for our choices. And and there will be consequences when kids get, quote, out into the real world. The problem that I get stuck on, and I may be opening a can of worms here, but I've been known to do that a few times. (laughs) The the can of worms that I get stuck on. 
yeah, well, I just think it's so critical to talk about the difference between making kids um, pay for something because they need to learn a lesson, so to speak, and I am being slightly sarcastic, right? So, so you, you better learn how to do this because out in the real world, it's not this way. And then out in the real world, whatever it is that the expectation is, is totally not the way it really is. So like, for example, saying to kids, you're going to fail if you don't turn in your homework on time. The, the homework being turned in on time is more important than the learning, right? Whereas if you say to the kid, you're, gonna, you're not going to be able to move forward with your work if you don't demonstrate your knowledge of the standard, is a very different message. The reality is, is that very rarely in adult life is there such a hard deadline that you would lose your job if you didn't have something in on time. Now, there are careers and there are times when there's a hard deadline and you have to handle them. But the frequency and intensity of those deadlines and, and, and uh, it, it just doesn't feel always congruent, particularly with high school, right? So I'm mm-hmm. just simply throwing it out there that, that, like, what are the messages that we're giving our kids? What's important? Is the learning important or is the being on time important? I cannot stand it when a kid passes a class in high school because they showed up every day and they turned their homework in on time. That absolutely should have nothing to do with whether or not you learn the material in the course. Conversely, there should be scoring or feedback to parents or something on your transcript that talks about your work habits, your ability to work with others, the social components of life that are an important part of, of the real world. So I'm not saying that those aren't important. I'm just not sure that they're totally linked. And I think that sometimes we confuse consequences and expectations with learning, uh, academic learning. Um, and I think that this model lends itself really well to dealing with that issue because it's really essentially saying Let, let's deal with the kid as a human being and figure out what they need um, together. And, and it does require you know, on some level, and Ross, I, I, either of you, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I think the hardest part of this model is the flexibility that's required of the adults who are implementing the work as much as it is the skills in knowing how to deal with the kids. I, Carol, I totally think? agree. Yeah, I totally agree. It, it's um, it's that mindset of you know one of your one of the pieces of your your presentations, Ross, is it takes two to tango. So part of it is re- recognizing that a lot of times it is our actions and reactions that are part of the problem that we experience that that makes that exacerbates um, the child's difficulty in meeting our expectations, and then having that humility to say. You know, I'm not just the most important person here. I'm not just the adult and professional. So what I say goes. It's having that humility to to recognize that you and a student are on equal footing in helping solve this problem, and that perhaps the solution will ask the the child to change something they're doing. Perhaps it's going to ask the adult to change something that they're doing, and and to accept that as being. It's not caving. It's not giving up power. It's empowering. Um, both of you to have a better relationship and to work better together. Well, and um, oh, go ahead, Ross. Well, I was just going to say, you know, if a kid is having trouble getting something in on time, I suppose we could rely on adult-imposed consequences to make it happen. You know, there are um, natural consequences in the real world if that remains a chronic issue. 
Um, you know, you could lose your job or you could lose a lawsuit if you don't file your papers on time. And, you know, so mm. there's there's natural consequences. The, the big question is um, what's getting in the way of the kid turning stuff in on time? And there's where the, all the action's at because if all we do is threaten more consequences, and if all we do is sort of point to the future about what's going to happen to you if you don't get good at this, <laughs> Then the part we are completely neglecting is the is the is the sort of beauty of childhood, and that is, you know what? Let's get you ready by figuring out what stuff you're having difficulty with, and figure out why you're having difficulty with it, and see if we can fix it here in childhood, where, you know, it's not you're not going to get fired um, from school if you don't get your stuff in on time. That could happen in the real world. But childhood and adolescence is a great time to sort of let's figure that stuff out. Let's figure out what's getting in your way so that when you finally do get to uh, adulthood where um, people are perhaps a bit less forgiving, um, you know what? We've got you pretty well squared away. And that's what childhood and adolescence is about, discovery, making mistakes and learning from them. And us adults figuring out what's getting in your way and helping you with it so you're ready. Not simply emulating what the real world in its most harsh form is going to throw at you if you don't get there on your own. So mm-hmm. I think it's sort of a fascinating thing. Um, you know, uh, what we throw at kids when we could be busy helping them instead. Well, you know, that- it's a, uh, um, and it's interesting because it, it's a. Uh, uh, I think it just takes a. It, there is a a point of, um, Ross. I know you see this when you do your workshops. I'd love to hear your thought on this, but this all ties back to the idea that Nina had, or what you're working on with her around the culture of the school. Mm-hmm. That the culture of the school being focused on kids do well if they can, and and I I really would like to you know, get the transcription of that last, I don't know if you're going to develop some kind of guidelines or something for the website, but I'd love to see some of the thinking that we had in the last radio program. But I do think that, that this conversation and that conversation are symbiotic in nature, that, that it takes time for grown-ups to learn new habits too. And we have to be compassionate for teachers who are learning new, new ways to deal with people um, and, and provide them support. In, in those new ways of dealing with people, because I think that that a lot of teachers are doing doing the best that they can to come to school every day and and help really difficult kids learn the critical things that they need to be successful. And so I guess I just as I've been a district wide leader, I can kind of see things from a more global perspective now. And Carol, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but isn't the culture of the school kind of a critical component to this this idea of getting these kids ready? to go out in the real world? Well, it is absolutely, and, and so there's, there's internal factors that can really help, um, you know, have, have your actions align with your philosophy. What I find is that there's a lot of external pressures that, that actually can put uh, a, an educator at war with themselves, thinking, you know, yeah. yeah, I totally believe this is how we should be working with our elementary kids, but, um, you know, secondary is not like that and so am i doing them a disservice and then when we talk to our secondary partners they say well no like especially grade eight and nine we're like our our um, elementaries go to grade seven and then our secondaries go from eight to twelve 
Um, so, you know, we there's a per, there's perceptions and reality not just about how the real world is going to treat kids once they're leaving our school system, but also just how the next level, even the transition from primary to intermediate, that I'm, you know, in grade three, I'm preparing them for intermediate, so I've got to kind of be tougher on them and have, well, let's just enjoy and celebrate who they are now and help them grow into the best versions of themselves and not worry about what's coming next. Because then at high school they worry that external pressure of, you know, well, that's not the way that, that universities are, treat, are, are treating kids. But, yeah, they're all evolving. So it's not, there's no static, you know, um, system where elementary is not a closed system that's, that's evolving, say, to, to have a more holistic view of children and what works for them. And then when they get to secondary, it's, you know, being thrown to the wolves. The entire system and our, our whole, uh, hopefully, our whole uh, uh, understanding of human beings and how they develop throughout life, even research now into, I'm going off tangent now, but research into, you know, how, how people are not fully matured and, and formed until, you know, even the early 30s at this point now that our brains are still developing. So um, I think I think our understanding and research base on best practices for working with children and, and adults, young adults as they grow, is is taking us in a great direction. I got totally off uh, on a tangent. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, I, I agree with you more though because I think that affects the culture. And I'm suggesting that this model of collaborative and proactive solutions is actually just as healthy for adult to adult and administrator to adult, like leadership management. Mm-hmm capacities. I, I had a huge situation this year that, that I basically did plan B with a, an entire K-6 district. I went to small group meetings with everybody and said to them, I just want to hear your concerns and perspectives because I don't understand what's going on. And I just listened and, and did lots of digging and got really truly helped people to do, to feel more comfortable and better um, almost within two months. It, but it if I didn't know this work, I couldn't have done it that way. Does that make sense? That that the philosophy shaped my my decisions when I got awareness of the issues that were going on. And I think that 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 I guess that what I I'm starting to recognize is that even as adults, once we're, our our cognitions are formed and we're kind of generally considered like you know grown-ups, which I would agree with you is in the early 30s now. <laughs> I just think that we can we can continue to grow with our ability to use, you know, to develop our skills. So I, I would love, Ross, if you would be willing to consider the next program to talk more about the culture thing that we discussed last time. I, I really enjoyed that, and I'd like to hear more about what's going on around that work, if, if it's, you know, fits into your uh, needs. Totally. Um, it's my, you know, one of my favorite things to talk about is what, our mission is in a school and what culture we try to create around that mission. Um, And one of the things we've been talking about is that lots of schools have a mission statement that they put a lot of energy into thinking about and then don't pay much attention to it once it's written. Um, But, you know, I don't know many places. um, If you're working with kids, and you got a whole bunch of adults in the building, and you got all kinds of pressures being put on you, and you got the school board breathing down your neck, and you got the state government telling you what you got to do to pass muster. You better know what your mission is, and it's really important to go back to it um, when you sort of have what we might call mission drift, because 
you know, schools get pulled in so many directions. Classroom teachers get pulled in so many directions. Principals get pulled in so many directions that it's very easy to lose perspective and it's very easy to lose sight of what are we really about in this building? What are our values? And what are we really trying to accomplish? And then that's what you build around. Um, so I would be, our next program is our last of this school year, our May program, because we take June, July, and August off. So we will make sure that that is the focal point of that program. And maybe I and Nina can give everyone an update on how that curriculum is coming along that will be put out by Lives in the Balance when it's ready, hopefully coinciding, but probably not, with, but certainly thematically coinciding with the release of my book, Raising Human Beings. We just want to make sure that schools have a great sense of how to embed into the very fabric of the school, not the first 15 minutes of every day and then the rest of the day doing whatever we want, but into the very fabric of the school, um, helping kids be empathic and appreciate how their behavior is affecting other people and um, resolve disagreements in ways that do not involve conflict and taking others' perspectives and honesty all of which have to benefit the academic curriculum, but all of which can be taught through the academic curriculum. As I may have said last time, 2 plus 2 might not be the ideal time to teach empathy, but when a kid is struggling with 2 plus 2, is the absolute perfect time to teach all kids about empathy. So that'll be our last program. Awesome. Any final words before we call it a day? We have about three minutes left, but we can uh, end early if we don't have anything more to say. What do you all think? Any last thoughts? I think we should do this twice a month next year. <laughs> you got um, time for that, you, right, Ross? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll make the time for it if Tom is willing to guarantee that he will make it for every program. Ooh. Okay, I only missed two. I only missed two. <laughs> I'm going to do a count. Yeah, but if we doubled it, if we doubled it, then you'd be missing four. I think Nina missed more than me. I'm going to count now. Um, She's got unpredictable children's situations now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is different. But uh, no, I, I, we appreciate everything you do for kids, Ross. It's really great. I mean, you know, I've seen you work with kids. It's clear that you absolutely think the world of them. And we have, we'll have, we can talk over the summer about how often we want to do the program and any format changes we want to make and whether we may want to have some uh, guests on our program. I know that uh, your buddy Ryan Gleason is starting all over again with CPS at a new school, and it would be cool to get an yep. update from him about how it's going. And, um, of course, I get to travel all over the world talking to educators, and I'm betting that there are a bunch of them who'd like to get on this program and Tell us how they're doing. So um, there you go. Carol, any final thoughts? Uh, I'm just looking forward to one more program. I can't believe that's going to wrap it up for the year already. I don't I know, know where the time oh went. <laughs> the, the school year is almost over, and everybody's <laughs> telling me they're running on fumes. So, sorry, Tom, what would you say? No, no, I just laughed. I, I can't believe how fast this year has gone for me, too, being a new assistant super, superintendent, you know. I've learned a lot. Um, well, having been to your school system and helped them learn a little bit about CPS, I am, of course, in admiration about um, how you are taking this model and your energy everywhere you go. And that is um, Carol's doing the same thing 
We, we need more like both of you. But why don't we call <laughs> it a day for today? Sound good? Sounds good. Talk to you both next month. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.